Section One of Confessions of an English Opium Eater. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions of an English Opium Eater by Thomas de Quincey. Section 1 From the London Magazine for September 1821 To the Reader I here present you, courteous reader, with the record of a remarkable period in my life. According to my application of it, I trust that it will prove not merely an interesting record, but in a considerable degree useful and instructive. In that hope it is that I have drawn it up, and that must be my apology for breaking through that delicate and honourable reserve which, for the most part, restrains us from the public exposure of our own errors and infirmities nothing indeed is more revolting to english feelings than the spectacle of a human being obtruding on our notice his moral ulcers or scars and tearing away that decent drapery which time or indulgence to human frailty may have drawn over them accordingly the greater part of our confessions that is spontaneous and extrajudicial confessions proceed from demireps adventurers or swindlers and for any such acts of gratuitous self-humiliation from those who can be supposed in sympathy with the decent and self-respecting part of society we must look to french literature or to that part of the german which is tainted with the spurious and defective sensibility of the french all this i feel so forcibly and so nervously am i alive to reproach of this tendency that i have for many months hesitated about the propriety of allowing this or any part of my narrative to come before the public eye until after my death when for many reasons the whole will be published and it is not without an anxious review of the reasons for and against this step that i have at last concluded on taking it guilt and misery shrink by a natural instinct from public notice they court privacy and solitude and even in their choice of a grave will sometimes sequester themselves from the general population of the churchyard as if declining to claim fellowship with the great family of man and wishing in the affecting language of mr wordsworth humbly to express a penitential loneliness it is well upon the whole and for the interest of us all that it should be so nor would i willingly in my own person manifest a disregard of such salutary feelings nor in act or word do anything to weaken them but on the one hand 
as my self-accusation does not amount to a confession of guilt so on the other it is possible that if it did the benefit resulting to others from the record of an experience purchased at so heavy a price might compensate by a vast overbalance for any violence done to the feelings i have noticed and justify a breach of the general rule infirmity and misery do not of necessity imply guilt they approach or recede from shades of that dark alliance in proportion to the probable motives and prospects of the offender and the palliations known or secret of the offence in proportion as the temptations to it were potent from the first and the resistance to it in act or in effort was earnest to the last for my own part without breach of truth or modesty i may affirm that my life has been on the whole the life of a philosopher from my birth i was made an intellectual creature and intellectual in the highest sense my pursuits and pleasures have been even from my schoolboy days if opium-eating be a sensual pleasure and if i am bound to confess that i have indulged in it to an excess not yet recorded of any other man it is no less true that i have struggled against this fascinating enthralment with a religious zeal and have at length accomplished what i never yet heard attributed to any other man have untwisted almost to its final links the accursed chain which fettered me such a self-conquest may reasonably be set off in counterbalance to any kind or degree of self-indulgence not to insist that in my case the self-conquest was unquestionable the self-indulgence open to doubts of casuistry according as that name shall be extended to acts aiming at the bare relief of pain or shall be restricted to such as aim at the excitement of positive pleasure guilt therefore i do not acknowledge and if i did it is possible that i might still resolve on the present act of confession in consideration of the service which i may thereby render to the whole class of opium-eaters but who are they reader i am sorry to say a very numerous class indeed of this i became convinced some years ago by computing at that time the number of those in one small class of english society the class of men distinguished for talents or of eminent station who were known to me directly or indirectly as opium-eaters such for instance as the eloquent and benevolent hmm, the late dean of lord mr the philosopher a late under-secretary of state 
who described to me the sensation which first drove him to the use of opium in the very same words as the dean of hmm, viz that he felt as though rats were gnawing and abrading the coats of his stomach mr hmm, and many others hardly less known whom it would be tedious to mention now if one class comparatively so limited could furnish so many scores of cases and that within the knowledge of one single enquirer it was a natural inference that the entire population of england would furnish a proportionable number the soundness of this inference however i doubted until some facts became known to me which satisfied me that it was not incorrect i will mention two one three respectable london druggists in widely remote quarters of london from whom i happened lately to be purchasing small quantities of opium assured me that the number of amateur opium-eaters as i may term them was at this time immense and that the difficulty of distinguishing those persons to whom habit had rendered opium necessary from such as were purchasing it with a view to suicide occasioned them daily trouble and disputes this evidence respected london only but two which will possibly surprise the reader more some years ago on passing through manchester i was informed by several cotton manufacturers that their workpeople were rapidly getting into the practice of opium-eating so much so that on a saturday afternoon the counters of the druggists were strewed with pills of one two or three grains in preparation for the known demand of the evening the immediate occasion of this practice was the lowness of wages which at that time would not allow them to indulge in ale or spirits and wages rising it may be thought that this practice would cease but as i do not readily believe that any man having once tasted the divine luxuries of opium will afterwards descend to the gross and mortal enjoyments of alcohol i take it for granted that those eat now who never ate before and those who always ate now eat the more indeed the fascinating powers of opium are admitted even by medical writers who are its greatest enemies thus for instance orsiter apothecary to greenwich hospital in his essay on the effects of opium published in the year seventeen hundred and sixty three when attempting to explain why mead had not been sufficiently explicit on the properties counter-agents etc of this drug expresses himself in the following mysterious terms perhaps he thought the subject of too delicate a nature to be made common 
and as many people might then indiscriminately use it, it would take from that necessary fear and caution which should prevent their experiencing the extensive power of this drug for there are many properties in it, if universally known, that would habituate the use, and make it more in request with us than with Turks themselves, the result of which knowledge, he adds, must provoke a general misfortune. In the necessity of this conclusion I do not altogether concur, but upon that point I shall have occasion to speak at the close of my confessions, where I shall present the reader with the moral of my narrative. End of section one. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey.